Lord, we just ask tonight for revelation in your spirit, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us. God, we need revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, we need it so bad, Lord. Before we do anything else, before we step another step, God, reveal yourself to us. Open our hearts, open our minds, Jesus, and reveal yourself to us because we are utterly dependent on you, God. We can't receive anything unless you reveal it. We can't understand anything unless you reveal it. And we can't know anything unless you reveal it. And we absolutely can't walk on anything unless you reveal it to us. So Lord, bring your spirit of revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ over all of us tonight, whether here in the building or at our houses or whether we hear this teaching later on, God, I pray that you would bring your spirit of revelation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. All righty. Glad to see you all here this evening. Glad to see you guys online tuning in. Not that I can actually see you, but I'm still excited that you're there. Um, okay. So... Last week, we talked a little bit about the beginnings of discipleship and how we start in what? What was the main thing that we talked about last week? Surrender. Yes, being surrendered to Jesus Christ. If we do not first surrender ourselves and give ourselves over to Jesus, then we will not be able to be citizens of the kingdom of God. We will continue to be either sojourners or neighbors or even enemies of the kingdom. But the first step is surrender. Whenever we're inside of the kingdom, whenever we want to change citizenship from one place to another, we have to take that passport and surrender it over and say, yes, I do not want my old, my old uh, citizenship. I want the new citizenship. And us as followers of Jesus Christ have to surrender our citizenship in this world to receive citizenship in the heavenly realms. So we're just going to do a, a small little review. There were four things that we talked about that are needed for discipleship to take place. Those four things were, one, teachability slash surrendered hearts. Number two, a personal desire for and expectation that God is going to do something. We have to have a desire for God to do it. We have to have a desire for discipleship, an expectation that we will learn, an expectation that God wants to impart something to us, an expectation that God is going to reveal something to us in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Just what we had, just what we prayed just a second ago, revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Third, we have to have consistency and commitment to that which God is doing. We have to have consistency. You know, if you, if you want to build a relationship with somebody, you can't see that person once every seven months. You can't talk to that person once every year or once every five months. Maybe after a time period of, hey, I've, I've lived in fellowship with this person. I know this person really well. You can connect with them over a distance once every six months, once every three months or something like that and actually still be encouraged by that person. But as you're building relationship, you actually have to have that consistency and commitment. And fourth, we said you need absolutely God's word and 
the Holy Spirit. So we're going to start tonight talking about the simplest definition of discipleship. The simplest definition of discipleship is doing life together centered on Jesus Christ. Not doing life together centered on God's word. Not doing life together centered on the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm sorry if your team lost. Not doing life together centered on the church. But doing life together centered on Jesus is the simplest definition of discipleship. If Jesus is not at the center, then all we're doing is gaining knowledge. All we're doing is hanging out. All we're doing is yelling at the screen because Brady just threw five or six more touchdowns. Sorry again. Go Bucks. Not really. I don't really care. <laughs> I was just playing. Um, but it's doing life together. That means we actually have to be engaged with each other. We actually have to be in it together with each other. But it's around Jesus Christ, centered on Jesus with expectation of Jesus. All right, let's talk about some different levels of discipleship because we're actually going to get into a little bit of this tonight. We're going to do some application. So I'm just going to run over a little bit more points before we actually step into this. Um, Thessalon- uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 21. If you have your Bibles, turn to it. I hope you do have your Bibles. I hope you are turning to it. Let's all be Bereans. Let's actually take the scriptures and read them ourselves because those Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they actually went back to the scriptures and said, hey, is this guy really teaching us right? So we're in verse 14, 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 21. I do not write these things to you. Now, Paul's talking to the Corinthian church, which has a whole bunch of problems. And he's told them a whole bunch of different things. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 is where we're at. And said, He's got a whole bunch of problems, and he's written them a bunch of different stuff, kind of admonishing them, telling them that they're in, they're in disunity, and they need to be unified on Jesus. And he gets this point in 4.14. He says, I do not write these things to you, or write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. So he's saying these things to write their path as children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then to be imitators of me. That is why I sent to you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. It's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? I hope most of us would say, I don't want the rod. I want the love and generous, gentle spirit. Um, but some of us are dumb like me and need the rod. You got to get broken over and over again because you're just dumb. So what we see in this passage is we see different levels of discipleship. We see Paul lines out three different levels. There are more levels to this, but he lines out three different levels. He lines out guides. He lines out fathers. And then he lines out people that are sent to help you out. Us inside of the faith, we have actually a whole bunch of guides. Many of us can pick up a lot of different books and learn from them about, about learn in these books about different things. We can listen to podcasts. There's a lot of people that want to guide us. But there aren't that many that are, that are in that 
deep father-son type relationship where you can actually be taught, be vulnerable, be in fellowship with those people. So we're going to look at those three different levels. One level of, of a guide, one level of father-son father, son, family relationship, and one a level of a peer as well. So that's what Timothy would be inside of this. Um, as we think about discipleship, think about discipleship as up, side by side, and down. Okay? So we have to be, one, willing to be discipled up. As a father, taking a son and leading and growing that person up, a lot of us aren't willing to be that. Let's be honest. A lot of us think that we know everything. I love what Pastor Tim said last week after he got done. As he said, if you listen to a true disciple and you are a true disciple, then you will learn. Why? Because that person's just pointing you to Jesus Christ. That's all they're doing is saying, hey, look, there's Jesus. Let's, let's be Jesus. As Paul says right here in this, be imitators of me. I urge you then, be imitators of me because I want to remind you of my ways in Christ. It's all about Jesus. And so these people are going to point you back to Jesus. So we have to, if we're going to be discipled up, we actually have to be willing to receive what that person says. We have to be willing to receive what that person says. Woe to me and, and to my own shame how often I have not received the blessings of the Lord because I would not receive what someone was trying to give to me. In my shame, in my, my absolute shame, how often I've sat in the pew, the preacher taught me or sat across the table from a brother and I looked at them and was like, I ain't, I ain't picking up nothing that you're setting down. Who are you to tell me? Who are you to tell me? I'm Zach Cawthorn, son. Who are you? Bob Jones, I don't know who you are. But to my shame, my pride has gotten in the way that my flesh got in the way of, of learning and knowing more about Jesus Christ. So we have to be willing to receive from those that are above us, from those who are, who are trying to teach us like Jesus. Same thing, those who are beside us. Brothers and sisters that are in the same faith, people that we're loving on that are at the same level of us, actually saying, let me receive from you. Let me be encouraged by you. And then third, we have to be ready to teach down. A lot of us want to teach down, but in reality, where do you get your teaching down from? Where do you get it to? It actually comes through your evangelism most of the time. You can't go to people and say, hey, Marty, come, come under me, come sit under me, because Marty's going to say, who are you? Who do you think you are to sit on, for me to sit under you? You think you're, you're all high and mighty, that I should come and sit at your feet and wash your feet? No, but people see the love that you have for Jesus, and they say, man, I want to go sit under that person's feet. And Honestly, a lot of times it's through our own evangelism. As we share the gospel with people, as people come into the faith, those are the first people that we can disciple because they have need of what you've already given them. And they need even more than that. So we have to be ready to disciple in and out of season. So what is our goal of discipleship? It's honestly to grow and become more like Jesus. And the cool thing about that is that there's really no one way 
There's no set formula. There's no set path that is the path for discipleship. If you look in our book nook, I'm sure we have six or seven different books on discipleship. Other resources and other things. A bunch of people will tell you, no, this is the way that you have to be discipled. You have to go this eight-week course inside of our church building for eight weeks, and then you're completely discipled, and you can go out and you can do whatever you want. But that's not true. It's not the only way. It's one of the ways, but it's not the only way to be discipled. Obedience to the Spirit over methodology is actually the way to be discipled following what Jesus is telling us to do. So things that we will focus on here today and also um, next week, and then if, if we move forward with this and we actually continue in discipleship, the things that we'll, default, that we'll focus on, because this is what the Holy Spirit's put on my heart, are these five things. The first thing is prayer. Colossians 1, 9, and 10 says to us this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. We want to be people of prayer. We want to be praying for each other. We want to be praying for others that are out there. Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 through 16 through 22 says, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 22 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God of Jesus Christ for you. Do not quench the Spirit, meaning do not stop the Spirit because you're not praying, because you're not rejoicing, because you're not in communion with Jesus with others which is what our prayers together do. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast what is good and abstain from every form of evil. So prayer, we're going to focus on prayer and we're going to get before the Father and we're going to ask the Father to show up, to move, to work in our lives and the lives of other people around us. The second thing is fellowship around Jesus. Colossians 1, go back to Colossians 1, sorry. Colossians 1, we're going to look at verses 15 through 20. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's so beautiful. He is before and in him, in Jesus Christ, all things hold together. And in him our fellowship is. And without him, then we have no fellowship. But that's another time. And he is the head of the body. That's us, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his, cro- of his cross. When we do discipleship, it really has to be centered on Jesus. A lot of times we like to center it on something else. Things that are good. And we're going we're gonna to focus this time of discipleship on really great doctrine. Good thing. 
but it's not the main thing. Jesus is the main thing, and we have to keep the main thing the main thing. Because if we don't keep Jesus at the head, then we will drift off. Because the devil doesn't want to just take you, he doesn't want you to go from here to here immediately, I and mean, he does want you to do that, where your eyes are on Jesus, and then your eyes are completely off of Jesus. No, what he really wants to do is he wants to take your eyes off of Jesus to look in just one degree off of Jesus. Because if he can get you one degree off of Jesus, then pretty soon you're going to be looking over here, you're going to be going your own ways, you're going to be walking in your own ways. But we have to keep the centrality of Jesus in all that we do. And so our discipleship in itself is focused on Jesus. The word is used. The word is absolutely used. The prayers are used. Everything that we do will be focused on Jesus, though, because it's about him. It's for his glory, because he is preeminent. He is the center of all things. In him, all things hold together. Everything was made in him. He is the way. Man, that's good. The third thing that we'll do is we'll be on the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, which I'm sure you guys have heard me quote this many different times because this is what I like to use as one of my application verses. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And 17 says, That the man of God, the woman of God, may be competent and equipped for every good work. So the word of God isn't the central thing, but it's a part of it. You can't separate Jesus from his word, okay? They are. The word of God became flesh. That's John 1, and it dwelt among us. The word was with him in the beginning. The word's still with him now. The word will continue. After all this passes away, what will continue going on? His word. His word. You can't separate it. So the word of God is something that we'll continue to focus on. The fourth thing is obedience to the Holy Spirit and Jesus' commands. Uh, John 14, we're going to look at John 14 for a couple, couple different passages in there because Jesus, in his last teaching to his disciples, wanted to say a lot about obedience. John 14, we're going to start in verse 15 and we're going to go in a couple different places. John 14, 15, and says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, remember I said obedience to the Holy Spirit and Jesus' commands, because they're both the same thing. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is Jesus talking. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. All right, so that's Jesus saying that the, the spirit of God is something that we need to listen to and the spirit of God will help us to obey his commands. But if we love him, then what will we do? We'll obey his commands. Okay, Jesus has to say it again for us because we're so dense like I am. So let's go to verse 21, 14, 21. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. Let's look at verse 23 because we're also still so dense. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come and make our home with him. So without obedience, there cannot be any 
progress. There cannot be anything that moves forward. How many of us have had our kids and told our kids, go clean your room? Kids go upstairs. They're up there for about an hour. don't know what you're doing. Then they say, oh, can I go out and do this? And you say, have you cleaned your room? And they said, no. You say, go clean your room. And then they play around a little while longer, and you say, they come back down and say, hey, can I play video games? And you say, have you cleaned your room? They say, no. You say, go clean your room. How often are we like that with Jesus? We say, God says, go and tell this person this. Get rid of this sin. Surrender this over to me. Spend this time in this. And we don't do it. And then we expect God to give us more of himself or expect God to do something. And he says, I already told you to do something and you're being disobedient. I won't give you another command until you obey the one before it. Obey my commands because you love me. Let's look at Matthew 28. Yeah, we love this verse. We use this verse. Me as a cross-cultural worker, it's one of the pioneer verses that we always use, and we stand up and we call out. It's uh, Matthew 28, and we're going to look at verses 19 and 20. Jesus tells his disciples right before he ascends to heaven, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And most of us stop right there. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. But the very last verse is probably just as, if not more important, than the, free, than the previous verse. Because he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We go and we make disciples because we teach them to obey God's commandments to obey the things that Christ has already taught us and his blessed blessing inside of that and promise inside of that. And it says, and behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Some of us have uh, very disobedient children. And the reason that our children are disobedient is because we just let it go. We let go of the, the obedience. Go do this. Well, they didn't do it. Well, they're throwing a big fit. Okay, well, they don't have to do it anymore. God is not that father. He is not that father. He is a much better father than we could ever imagine. And he chastises us and he disciplines us for our good. I mean, listen to this book for the past two weeks by a guy named Watchman Nee. And the book, he, he makes the case that says the chastising and the discipline of the Lord is his greatest grace on us. If we allow it, if we don't kick against the disciplines and say, I don't, I don't want to go to my room. I don't like that. Ah! Like, my, like, like my, sometimes my children like to do. Ah! Well, that just gets you in bigger trouble. But whenever we accept the discipline, because we see, just like Balaam's donkey, we see the angel in front of us. You say, why are you hitting me? I'm trying to save your life. 
I'm trying to keep your path straight. We have to obey his commands. And uh, the fifth thing that we'll focus on is accountability. Uh, go with me to Ecclesiastes 4. Look at me, I'm sitting here trying to sing the, the Bible song so I can remember where Ecclesiastes is because I, I don't have it marked and I'm like, I'm over here, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and then I'm over here in Jeremiah flipping through my Bible. That's not right. So I had to have to go to the, uh, the table of contents so that I can actually find where Ecclesiastes is. All right, Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 through 12. There's a bunch of different verses I'm going to write. I'm going to give you some other verses that you can write down and look up later. Um, but since, just for time, I just want to focus on this one verse. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not, and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Here's some other verses to write down. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, so does one brother sharpen another. James 5, 16, and Galatians 6, 1, 2. There's not a whole, there's, there's a bunch of verses that we could point to that actually point to accountability. But we're just going to focus on this one for a second. Um, in this Ecclesiastes 9 through 12, if one falls down and he does not give the other permission to pick him up, can the other pick him up? If I lay here on the ground, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a smaller person, right? Not as big as, as some. My brother Trevor is much taller than I am. And, if, and if, you, if Trevor lays down on the ground and I say, Trevor, can I pick you up? And he says, no, I'm going to be hard-pressed to get Trevor up off the ground. But if Trevor says, yes, you can help me, and reaches his hand out, I will actually be able to help Trevor up. In accountability, we actually have to have permission. You have to give someone permission to hold you accountable. If, we, if I say to you, brother, I am struggling with Um, what's something? Tell me, say something for me. My mind went blank. Anger. I'm struggling with anger. Is that what you said, anger? Okay. If I'm struggling with anger, I am struggling with anger. And the next week, and I tell you that, and the next week you come to me, or the next day you come to me and you say, brother, how are you doing with your anger? And I say, don't talk to me about that. Leave me alone. I have taken my permission away from you to hold me accountable. As much as you chase after me, you can't hold me accountable because I've taken that permission away from you. So one thing in accountability that we have to do is you have to give the person, other person permission to hold you accountable. Let that other person say, yes, I will hold your hand. I will be able to pick you up. Yes, I will allow you to pick me up. I will allow you to lay beside me. You have to give the other person permission just as you have to receive the things that someone gives to you. Um, I'm going to pick on my wife for a minute because she's not here and I'm probably going to pay for it later. Um, 
it's, it's funny, and, and a lot of you guys that are married will understand this. It's funny how you can go to your spouse sometimes and ask for advice, and your spouse can give you step by step, this is what I believe that you should do. And you will say, you're crazy. My wife has done that quite a bunch of times. Um, as, as, I've, as, as she's had a struggle, she said, I, I just really don't need to know what to do in this situation. I'm like, I don't know. Look, this is what I think you should do. And I can actually go down and write down all those things on a notepad, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and then sit and then say, hey, go call Sarah White. So this, is, this happened multiple times in India. Go call Sarah White and talk to her. And Sarah can go like she was reading off of the notepad and read things off A, B, C, D, word for word. And my wife would receive those things and come out and be like, man, I feel so much better. The Lord just spoke so clearly through Sarah. Wow, it was so good to my heart. And I could just, what did she tell you? And just hold the piece of paper up to you. And she'd be like, don't hold that up. Don't hold that up. I love you, babe. But it's true for all of us. All of us are like that. I'm like that. I do that so often to her. She tells me something, tries to hold me accountable, and I, and I kick it off. I say, you don't have permission to hold me accountable in that. Are you waking up at 5 o'clock like you feel like God's told you to do, Zach? I'm really tired. Just leave me alone. Don't, don't bother me about that. <laughs> yeah, we have to give that permission, and we have to receive the things that people are giving to us. Okay, so those are the five things that we're going to focus on. Not that this is an exhaustive list, not that this is a thing that we should, that I believe that everyone should be doing in their discipleship, but this is what we're going to do. I want you to look across the room. I said last week that we're actually going to confess out loud with our mouths if we want to be surrendered to Jesus or not, right? Um, So look across the room, whether you're in your house or if you're in your car, you can't really look across the room. Hopefully you're with someone right now because we're going to do a little bit of an interactive study with Jesus. I want you to get with three or four people inside of the room. Um, find three or four people, any three or four people. You young guys, don't just get with young guys. Get with some older guys as well, okay? So get with those three or four people close-ish together, okay? And then we're going get to get into some of this together. You can get with more than three. I think three or four is just probably about what we could do tonight. If you're looking around and you see these people that are close by you, I probably won't receive from these people. Then get up and go and find someone that you will receive from. Okay? Because if you won't receive from those people, then I don't want you to be with them. If you look, at, if you look around and you say, well, Zach's crazy. I don't want to actually sit with Zach because he's crazy. Then go to somebody else because I am crazy. Hopefully crazy for Jesus. Okay, we got our groups. We're going to follow the Holy Spirit and what he wants us to do in this time period. If you have your Bibles, which I hope all of you do, open your Bibles to Second to Timothy. This is not, like I said, this is not an exhaustive thing. This is just what, we, what, what the Lord's going to do with us right now, what he's going to use for us. This is the way that we are going to actually do 
discipleship further if, if we decide to keep doing this for the time being until the Holy Spirit tells us something else to do. Because we want to be obedient more than we want to be, method, be, be about a method. Obedience is spirit over methodology. Okay, we ready? 2 Timothy 1, chapter 1. And we're going to start, we're going to read over the first two verses tonight. Now you're in a group, you're with some other people. First, start by praying over each other. And you can ask the question to each other, what are some needs inside of your community, inside of your family? What are some things inside of your, your family and your community that you need prayer for or that there are just needs, whatever that is, okay? So start that. We'll spend about three or four minutes on that. And you guys at home, if you're in your, if you're in your house, just do the same thing. Sit around. We're going to pause for a second here and just, keep, just ask that question and then, then spend time praying. Share what you feel comfortable. Vulnerability is always, always encouraged. Jenna. So, at, so can everybody hear me now? After you've talked about the needs and the things to pray for, actually spend some time praying for those. Or if there's a need that you can actually meet, then meet that need or make a plan to meet that need, okay? So if someone says, um, I need milk because I don't have milk at my house, but you have two jugs of milk at your house, you can say, after this, I will actually bring a jug of milk over. I'll go to the store and get milk. Or I'll give you $5 so you can get two jugs of milk. Whatever it is, you can actually meet that need, okay? Right now, Lord, we pray expectantly for the things that you've called us to do, God. We pray expectantly for the things that you've just talked us through, our needs in our families, our needs in our communities, our needs overall, God. We pray expectantly that you would meet those needs, Lord, and we pray that you would fill us with your spirit and that you would comfort us. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we pray with expectation because you are a good God. In Jesus' name we pray. All right. So we've spent some time in prayer. We've also spent some time in fellowship around Jesus just right then. So let's get into the Word of God. We're in first, or 2 Timothy 1 through 2. I want you to read that scripture together. It's not a big, long scripture. We're just going to read this very little bit. Read this scripture and then ask two questions, just two questions. The first question is, what does this scripture say about God? The second scripture, what does this scripture say about man? Okay, so ask that, just kind of discuss it inside of your group for just about five minutes. We're just going to kind of move through this pretty quickly for just about five minutes, okay? What does this scripture say about God? What does the scripture say about man? That's first, Second Timothy chapter 1, 1 and 2. Questions now, if you've asked those questions now and you have come to a bit of a conversation about what does this say about man, and what does it say about God, I want you to ask, is there anything that's difficult in this scripture for you? What's hard? What's hard for you to understand? What's hard for you to grasp? What pricks your soul in a weird way that says, I don't really like that? Just ask that question and discuss it for a second.
Okay. So we've asked just three questions just there for you to discuss and to ask the question about. We've been focusing on just these first two verses. We're talking about what does it say about God? Who is God? What is this person? What does it do? What does it say about man? And then what's difficult for you in this scripture? If I'm honest, the grace, mercy, and peace are the most difficult thing for me, which most people are like, that's part of it for me, but actually receiving that, not deflecting it onto someone else, saying, well, that guy over there really needs it, Jesus. He needs it, not me. I'm, I, I don't need it. So we've, we've talked about just those three things, and we're going to ask the next question, which is, based off of these scriptures, what does God want you to do? What is he telling you to do? What are the things that he wants you to be obedient to? And this is something that we want to, like I like to tell you guys a bunch Smart. We want to make them smart, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. You don't want to say, well, God wants me to change my life. Because we will never actually change if it's such a big, audacious, if it's a bog, big, hairy, audacious goal. No, we break it down into something that's manageable, chewable. What is God telling you? Based off of these scriptures, just asking those three questions reveals, the Holy Spirit will reveal something to us promise you, right right there for me, it's receiving those three things from Jesus and not deflecting it onto another person. So breaking that down into something that's actually manageable is the Holy Spirit is telling me that I need to receive the grace of Jesus Christ through, this is how I make it smart, right? Through, let's see if I can make this smart. Through, as the Lord disciplines me, because I believe that that's one thing that God's been teaching me a lot of recently, is that his discipline is actually an act of grace, and not to kick against it, but to receive it, and to accept it, and to love it, um, and to look forward to his discipline, so that I know that, up, oh, I'm off the, I've lost the path, up, oh, now I'm back on the path, up, oh, now I'm off, up, oh, now I'm back on. Um, I, I want to, this week, as the Lord chastens me, as he, as he disciplines me, I want to receive that as an act of grace and not complain about it, not kick against it, and not um, fight against it. So when those trials and tribulations come, when the things are hard, I want to enjoy that. Um, so maybe not as timely and as measurable as I'd like it to be, but it's still out there for you all, this is my permission for you, for you all, all of you at home, all of you here in this room, to hold me accountable to that, to ask me about that. Zach, are you receiving the grace as you're chastened? Are you receiving that grace of the Lord? Or are you still fighting against it? Are you kicking against it? And you can tell by my response if I give you that permission or take it back away, right? All right, so let's spend about five minutes just talking about that. What is the Lord telling you? And if you read this and you say, you know, I really, I really can't, really can't feel anything. These verses didn't really speak to me very much. That's that's okay. We're doing this really quickly right now. But if he if he has specifically spoken something to you, then let's be obedient to sharing that.
so, now that we've talked for just a minute, and I've come up with an I will statement, I will this week um, change my name from Zach to Bob, or whatever it is, right? Um, I won't do that this week. I love my name. Um, God hath blessed, so what Zachary means, and that's my name, and I feel extremely blessed by the Lord. So, um, okay, we've, we've talked about that. Our last part of this is actually the challenge and the charge. Who, and this may be an interesting thing to ask because of this one scripture, who needs to hear this scripture? Who do you know that needs to hear this? Who needs to hear what you've gleaned from this? Who are you going to share it with? That's what this question is. So we've, we've gone through, just to give us a small little breakdown, we've spent some time in prayer and talking about what Jesus is doing and what our needs are for him, what our needs in our community are. Um, we are doing life together right now, focused on Jesus. We've spent some time in his word, and now we're asking God, what are you telling us? This is our own specific thing the Holy Spirit is telling each and every single one of us. And we don't want to say, yeah, what, she, what, she, what he said. God, I'll, ta- I'll take what he did, because that's his word from the Lord. That's his impartation. We all have our own specific relationships with Jesus, and Jesus wants to tell each one of us how to grow closer to him. So we ask that. And it could have something to do with the scripture, not something to do at all. It could be something that he's telling you completely different. I really need to stop my dog from eating the chairs in our house. I don't know. Whatever it is. Because that's just not being a good steward. Whatever it is that God's telling us. Because that thing that God's telling you is the thing that you're actually going to do. And it's the thing that you're going to be allowing other people to hold you accountable to. If not, if I force my conviction on you, then what's actually happening is I'm putting you back in slavery to the law instead of you hearing from Jesus and being freed by his Holy Spirit. Because he set us free for freedom's sake. And where the Spirit is, there's freedom. Does that make sense? Are we following on that? Okay. So who needs to hear this scripture? And you may read this and be like, that's a really weird scripture. I don't know anybody needs to hear that. Or you may read it and say, you know, this scripture reminds me of this scripture, and my cousin really needs to hear that it's okay to be a beloved child of God. Beloved child of God and of other people, and that there's grace, mercy, and peace in him. So we'll spend three minutes just three minutes talking about that. After you say, say the specific person's name if you have somebody. Say, okay, Jim John that you don't know, I'm going to do that with him. Or Babalu, I'm going to share with him. Okay? All right. So let's draw it back in here for just a second. So the purpose of this time period that we just spent actually is one to show us that it's quite easy to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's easy to come surrounding around Jesus, surrendered to him, saying, Jesus, 
teach me and show me more of you. It's easy to get together and pray. It's actually even easy to give someone permission to share into your life. And it's easy to hear from God. He wants to speak to each one of us. And as we surrender our lives to Him, He really does give us more of Himself. That's His, man, He wants to change us into Himself, into more of Him. So this is a little exercise just on that. The people in your group, people in your group, actually by that exercise that we just did, you kind of told the people around you if you were surrendered, if you want to surrender to Jesus. If you sat in your group with your arms crossed and were like, I don't know, I didn't know anything, I didn't really like it, I didn't really know nothing, then you did just say with your mouth, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for more. If you went with expectation and you shared and you talked and you, you were engaged in the Scripture, engaging the Scripture yourself and engaging with those around you, then what you're actually saying is, man, I really do want more of Jesus. I really do believe that He has more for me. Discipleship's on you more than it is on the person that you're pursuing. It's on you. You have to pursue it. You can only get what you want. If you want more of Jesus, then you'll receive more of Jesus. If you just want to date the cute girl, then you probably won't get that. Okay. I challenge you all to keep up with each other on those I will statements Ask each other about those I will statements. Ask each other about the people that you felt like you're supposed to share with. Ask each other about the needs that were in your community that you shared. Be centered around Jesus. Because as we go from here, as we stop, because we're already over time, Zach always goes long, sorry, as we go, as we, as we finish here, Pastor Tim's going to come up and say something. Um, as we finish from here, you are still going out as a disciple, and you're still going out to disciple, and you're still going out to receive discipleship. It doesn't stop here. It goes forward. And as you guys go from house to house, as you're meeting inside of each other's homes, as, you, as you're texting each other, as you're calling each other, because you guys all know each other better than I know some of you, As you're doing those things, encourage each other, challenge each other, and pursue Jesus together. Surrender to him, to know him more. And next week, we'll dive a little bit deeper into this stuff, and we'll actually spend a little bit more time as a group together doing more stuff. So I'm going to pray, and then Pastor Tim's going to come up for just a minute. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you that, that, you, that you call us to surrender to you. You call us for more of you in our lives and that you are so good to give us more of you. And you say we have not because we ask not. And that you are so ready to give more of yourself to those who want it. So, Lord, if we want you more, if we need you more, God, which we all do, we all need you more, 
God, I pray that you would open our hearts, Lord, that you would give us revelation, that you would give us more of you. God, if we desire to go deeper in you, God, that I pray that each one of us would pursue after someone who can teach us, that we would pursue after that father and that mother relationship in the faith, and that we would pursue after doing life together around you, Jesus, and not around anything else. Well, we pray for all of the needs. We pray that as we are obedient, to the things that you've called us to do, as we're obedient to the things that you've spoken to us tonight, Lord, that you would show us the next step. Lord, and as we share, as we're obedient to share this message, this passage with other people that you've highlighted to us, God, that there would be fruit from that, that you would bring those folk closer into you, that they would be yours. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.